Welcome back. <clears throat> oh, goodness. False start. Let me have a sip of my coffee and try again. Ah, much better. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Public Problems. I'm your host, Justin Bullock. Today I'm recording live again on Facebook at the grand early hour of 6.15 a.m. this morning on the West Coast. 9.15 out on the East Coast. This is our seventh episode doing a live recording on Facebook. Well, this year, I suppose. Thanks to those of you who are watching along live, um, those who are watching this video uh, here or on another format, and those who continue to follow along on the podcast. Um, I really appreciate you continuing to follow along and uh, supporting this podcast. As we get started today, I wanted to do something a little different um, and then jump into our usual updates and recapping last week's segment and getting to the readings for this week. Um, but last week was a um, particularly tough week for the state of Texas, uh, where Texas A&M, where I work, is, um, <clears throat> with rolling blackouts and freezing weather. And this upcoming week, we're also likely to pass over 500,000 confirmed deaths um, in the U.S. for coronavirus. <clears throat> so I wanted to take just a moment here at the beginning and um, I guess have a moment of silence. It uh, doesn't feel like we have a lot of opportunities just to pause and, and reflect with all the things going on in the world today. So I'd like to start today with just one moment, uh, maybe about 30 seconds of of silence and then we'll move into updates. So with that you could have the people of the United States and uh, the state of Texas in your thoughts. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, a um, couple of updates for you this week. Um, those of you that are supporters on Patreon had access to your first uh, supported event, um, which was being able to have access to the live recording last week in Zoom with me. <clears throat> and we have our second event for Patreon supporters this month which is, uh, will be on February 25th, uh, which is coming up this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me give you the details on that, which is this Thursday at 6 p.m. Central Time, 7 p.m. East Coast Time. And you should have the link for that already. If you are to join Patreon in the near future, I'll make sure that you get those links as well. So it's something that I'm going to repeat next month with one live recording and one Ask Me Anything for those of you that are supporters. All right. Last week, we talked about the value alignment problem and challenges of existential risk and risk management more broadly. Jumped into a little bit of academic literature to mix it up for you. 
And we had this running metaphor of Godzilla. Um, Godzilla was on my mind because we had recently recorded a Rabid Weasel podcast episode about uh, Godzilla, uh, which was just released this weekend on the Rabid Weasel uh, podcast channel and will be released on the Public Problems channel in the next couple of days. And I really wanted you to start thinking about some of the challenges that we all have together uh, as a global community, um, some of the major pressing, most serious risks, as if Godzilla showed up on our shores and started breathing atomic fire everywhere. And I suggested that um, one of the most serious upcoming challenges is the value alignment problem. And the value alignment problem being how do we help or keep machines or artificial intelligences aligned with the values of humans. And that if we don't ensure this, um, that there's a real, uh, some real concerns about what our upcoming and near-term machines might do to us particularly given what we've been able to see, the influences that they already have on us. So this is something that we will revisit with as part of our kind of more lecture-focused series. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that. If you missed that last week, go back and, and give it a watch or a listen. This week, I am really excited uh, to share with you the first chapter of my book, Low Wainwright, Homo Superior. Um, the book is still in drafting form. Um, probably about halfway through it now uh, with a publishing date of July 1. This is another benefit of any of you choosing to support the podcast on Patreon. You'll get a free copy of this book when it comes out this summer in July. Um, <clears throat> I've tried to set up the book. Um, by giving you some snippets from Odd John. You'll see some as we move forward in this reading that you can in some ways see this as a sequel to Odd John. Um, I was really inspired by the book, enjoyed it, um, and picking up where the story left off in my mind about a hundred years later. So if you haven't gotten a chance to to read Odd John by Olaf Stapleton, I encourage you to do that. It's also a very nice audible reading uh, that you can get through Amazon. You can go back and listen to the last um, couple episodes of Public Problems where we introduced John, um, talked about some of his commentary on humanity, and then said goodbye to him and his colony, um, at least in that book. And so I'm going to read you chapter one. It's about 2,500 words. It's the first time I'm broadly sharing uh, the material from the book, so I'm excited to do that this morning. And then next week, my plan is to do a reading from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis has a lecture on titled The Inner Ring um, that I come across not too long ago that I'd like to share with you all. So that'll be the reading or one of the readings for next week. Okay. With all that in mind, I'm going to turn to a reading of Chapter 1 from Low Rainwright, Homo Superior, and Chapter 1 is titled, Low's Introduction. 
Chapter 1. Lowe's Introduction. I've been struggling with how to begin what I'm sure will seem to the listener as truly fantastical and and probably likely a bit outrageous as well. It is certainly a story few are likely yet to believe. They certainly didn't believe Erasmus's story about John. Though to be fair, it was of course flawed in its account as well. To tell the story, my wife's advice was simple. Start with Lowe. I imagine she had good reason to share it all with you as she did. The part she could control anyways. As was quite typical, I think she's right. I'm doubtful I can improve upon Lowe's timing anyways, so while I'm sure my efforts will be bumbling at best, and please note, my dear listener, that if possible, I wish Lowe could tell the story herself, or Olaf for that matter. The reporting and storytelling skills are, are vastly superior to my own. But, as you will see, what choice did I really have? That it must be me, I hope the reader will bear kindly. So, let me start with Lowe Wainwright. Lowe approached me for the first time one mid-December morning. My wife and I, along with our Boston Terrier puppy, had moved from Texas and purchased our first home in April of that same year. While I found our little neighborhood to be cozy, the real pleasures I derived from this particular home were the open lighting, the fire from the natural gas logs, and the fact that our cul-de-sac spills into a sprawling trail system. I had taken to the occasional morning walk along our trailway. The broadly paved and open trail underlying the large metal power lines gave way to dirt trails rolling through the nearby forest and on to the pond affectionately known as Yellow Lake. Along this particular trail there is a bench that sits atop a short ridge from which you can also see the contours of Yellow Lake. This particular morning a thick fog had set in. Thick fog is a custom in this region. It joins you throughout the year, varying in its intensity as the weather fluctuates with the moisture brought in from the sea. I sat on the bench, oddly mindfully aware of the beauty around me. My mind was unusually quiet. I closed my eyes and took a deep inhale through my nose. An attempt to briefly wear the morning, to soak it in. I opened my eyes, and seated quite calmly next to me was Lowe. I was momentarily startled. It was immediately clear to me that I need not fear her, but the sight of her was fantastic all the same. Although I had not seen her walk up, she appeared to be of approximately my height. Her build was much slimmer, and her head slightly larger than a typical woman. This may have gone unnoticed, except that her eyes were also curiously large and seemed even larger in the context of her slightly enlarged skull. Taken together, these attributes had the compound effect of an extremely intelligent presence that was more intensely aware, more alive, more human in some way, but above all gave me a sense of kindness and intelligence that struck me as well, alien. But she was also very clearly human. While her physical appearance had struck me as unique, she was also quite beautiful for typical human standards. Her face glowed richly with 
slightly pink cheeks against soft brown skin. She had long, dark hair that flowed just below her shoulders. Her enlarged eyes felt more human and maybe even more beautiful than the human shape with which I was familiar. The combination of her attributes made her a striking being. After taking her presence in for a moment, I started to speak but found no words came to me. I remained silent instead. Then I took in another deep breath and released it out slowly. The woman seemed very odd and out of place, but not harmful, and while I had not seen her take the seat next to me on the bench, I saw no reason to disrupt either of our mornings. We could certainly share the beauty of the trees and the fog and the lake in the morning. Why not? We sat there together for several minutes, but irresistibly so, I found myself becoming more curious about my current benchmate. Presently, she shuddered slightly and then turned her head in my direction. Her eyes were even more piercing as she looked directly upon me, but even the piercing was filled with kindness. I offered a smile in return of her gaze. This seemed to please her as she returned my smile with her own warm grin. I need your help. Lo seemed to start suddenly, but deliberately. Taking this in and looking carefully at Lo, I replied, How can I help you? Lo smiled again, an even warmer smile than before. She started again in earnest, this time continuing for several moments. My name is Lo Wainwright. I must admit that while you do not know me, I do know you, or I suppose know about you. Please, do not be alarmed. I, I mean you no harm. You see, we need to make direct contact with Homo sapiens again. It has been almost a hundred years since anyone from our colony has made direct contact with a Homo sapien. But now we are ready. And now we want to provide Homo sapiens an opportunity to become fully human and save themselves before it's too late. With this introduction, Lo paused. My sense is that she was studying my face to see how I was processing her introduction. It was, of course, an outrageous introduction. No matter who she might really be, I thought at the time, she seemed at least to be self-aware enough to give me time to process her, set, her, her startling remarks. After several moments of silence, she continued on. I imagine this is quite odd to you, so please take your time. We have three days before we need to leave here to return to the colony. Lo fell silent again, studying me intently, her eyes exuding kindness and maybe a hint of weariness as well, still remained reassuring. I took a long breath and considered this strange person, her strange story, and her strange invitation. Was it an invitation? There was no implied threat, but 
It seemed to me that Lo expected me to join her on a trip somewhere to some colony. How bizarre, I thought. It must be some sort of cult. I was torn between intrigue and incredulity. But, breaking in favor of intrigue, I decided to engage Lo as if she was both sane and sincere. Well, I finally replied, Lo, I do have some questions. Of course you do, she replied. Please, ask any questions you have, and I will do my best to explain the answers to you in a way someone from your species can understand. Doing my best not to feel slighted by Lowe's condescension, I continued on. So, you know about me, I said. Yes, she replied. And you're from a colony that doesn't make direct contact with humans? Yes, she replied again. Is this colony of yours nearby? I asked. Curious what sorts of unknown cults might populate the greater Seattle area? She allowed herself a brief chuckle. <laughs> yes, well, near enough. Near enough for us to reach within a day of travel. And how would we be traveling, I asked. By boat. I can assure you that the accommodations will be adequate, Lo replied. I searched her face, her large eyes, her slender frame, anything to give some insight into this person next to me, but she only smiled warmly. So, I began again, you've been watching me, I asked questioningly. Yes, she replied patiently, and I started. For how long? Have you been peering into the windows of my house, following me in my car? <laughs> to this, Lo offered another slight chuckle. Well, no. I haven't been on this continent before today. In fact, I've never been on dry land above the sea. It is, however, even more beautiful than I expected. I look forward to roaming on the dry land with your species, she smiled at me. I see, I replied. Does your colony have the internet, then? To this, Lo offered another chuckle. This one was a bit heartier than the previous. <laughs> yes, she replied. We make full use of the internet. So, is that how you've been following me? On the internet, I asked. Oh yes, she replied. Very much so. Like most homo sapiens now, most of your, much of your inner life can be inferred from your behavior that can easily be accessed from the internet. And this is how you've been following me, I asked. Yes, she replied. But we have also followed some of your mentality telepathically as well. <laughs> to this I chuckled. 
a nearby secluded colony, internet stalking, telepathy. <laughs> Lo is right. She did have a fantastic story. But despite my remaining misgivings and the queer absurdity of this strange woman in front of me, I decided to press on. So, I started. Your name is Lo. You come from a colony that has been separated from Homo, homo sapiens for a hundred years. We can reach your colony in a day. You've been following me for some time on the internet. And you want me to take a trip with you to see this colony? Is all that correct? Yes, she replied. And why again do you need me to take this trip with you? I asked. We need you to help us provide Homo sapiens with an opportunity. An opportunity to become fully human and save itself from complete disaster, Lou replied, again earnestly. Yes, I thought to myself, definitely a cult member. That's what it was. To this, it was my turn to chuckle again. So, you want me to help you save humanity, I asked incredulously. No, she replied. We want you to help us make Homo sapiens become human and save themselves from destruction in the process we are already humans I replied hardly well sometimes sometimes you are or at least close to it but very often you're beasts nothing at all resembling human she said your history of Violent and horrendous torture speak for themselves. It's hard to argue with that assessment. Excuse me. <coughs> it's hard, hard to argue with that assessment. My fellow humans and I had certainly made some progress towards peace and security and flourishing, but we were very clearly still beasts, often ruled by beast desires. Fair enough, I replied. So, I continued, you want me to travel with you to your colony to help you help humans improve themselves? No, she clarified again. I want you to travel with me to our colony and help you see how together we can help your kind become actual humans. Actual humans. Like my species. Excuse me? I said, you keep saying my species. Yes, she said. Homo superior. <laughs> To this, I chuckled again. Homo superior? I restrained from further commentary and only shook my head. 
So you want me to travel in your boat to your colony of homo superiors and work with you to help my lowly lowly species become human? More human being? More like you and your kind, I'm assuming. Yes, Lo replied. That's exactly right. Reaching exasperation, I reflected on this for a few minutes. A few moments. This whole situation was absurd. Comically so, I thought. But this feeling of deep sincerity on behalf of Lowe remained. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe it was a cult. But there was Lowe, right next to me on the bench. Just different enough physically from other women to suggest that there was indeed maybe some genetic differences between her and Homo sapiens. But then, what was she? What was Homo superior? I mean, my mind began to spin with disbelief and denial. This odd woman, she, she must be insane. Was I even safe sitting next to her? Low, seemingly noticing my mental state, started again. You're not in any danger from me. Our colony has renounced violence towards Homo sapiens. That is, except for very extreme situations. She stopped, turned to me, and with sincerity, as I had, as I had ever seen another being muster, said, "And this isn't." Not one of those situations. I found it bizarre that Lo was able to accurately anticipate or maybe observe was the right word the moment of fear that had washed over me. But presently these concerns slipped to the back of my mind and I returned to a more reasonable contemplation. It was mid-December, so my classes had wound down for that semester. I insanely reasoned with myself. I had a number of ongoing research projects that needed my attention, but if Lo was not insane, I started thinking this could be an adventure. I would, of course, need to take some precautions. I would need to talk to my wife. I would need to be back by Christmas. I would need to check this boat that Lo mentioned. But maybe it could be done. Maybe. Lowe, again seeming to observe my internal dialogue, offered what looked like a sly grin of amusement and started speaking again. Please, take your time. Speak with your wife. Make any necessary arrangements. We have three days until we need to board the boat and head to the colony. Here she paused, seeming to have a brief internal debate with herself about whether to continue. Did you know your great-grandfather Erasmus was a reporter? No, I replied, somewhat confused. This seemed to delight Lowe. Her delight at my confusion was something that took some getting used to, as were her commands. Call your grandfather. Ask him about the book his father wrote, Lowe said.
I wasn't aware of any writers in my family, even as far back as my great-grandparents. But I knew very little about Erasmus. His son, Charles, I knew affectionately as Papa. We spoke regularly, but almost never about his father. All I knew about my great-grandfather was that he had spent some time working with a wealthy family. That family had paid him very well, allowing him to retire early to his farm. Papa seemed to harbor lots of negative feelings towards his own father. It would be a little uncomfortable asking him about Erasmus, but I suspected that he would have more information if I only asked. Call your grandfather when you return home this morning, Lowe said rather suddenly. Then, meet me here again tomorrow morning, and let me know your decision. With that, Lowe stood. She was both taller and slimmer than she had seen sitting next to me. Her large head, only noticeable if you look closely, but those large eyes remained unmistakable. She extended her hand to offer me a handshake. I stood and shook her hand. Tomorrow morning, then. It was nice to meet you, Lowe. Lowe smiled one more time and said, Tomorrow, then. It was nice to meet you, too. And with that, Lowe turned away from me and walked along the pathway around Yellow Lake and slipped into the morning fog out of sight. I collected myself and walked home. Alright, that's the end of chapter one of Low Wainwright. I hope you enjoyed this reading. It was really fun to share it with you. Um, next week, we'll do another live recording. And I'll be sharing C.S. Lewis's Inner Ring with you. I hope you enjoyed this reading of chapter one of Low Wainwright. And looking forward to sharing more of this story with you as we move forward throughout the spring. Have a wonderful week, and I'll be here again next week. Take care.